Oh man, does it feel good to be back with you, not only here, but online and on the patio. But I gotta say, man, I love our church family. And I missed you guys, and I cannot wait to be back with you. I was in countdown mode, and I'm looking out at some of the faces I'm seeing, and man, you, you're a good-looking bunch of people. <laughs> Online, you're really good. No, I'm <laughs> But Pam and I are excited to be back. Uh, we're kicking off a brand new series called Miracles. Uh, I've been working on this a long, long time. And I'll tell you what I did. I studied every single miracle in the Bible. And uh, through that, uh, God opened my eyes to something that I want to open your eyes to. And we'll do that during the coming weeks. But for those of you who have a miracle journal, uh, we start tomorrow. Okay, if you're wondering when we start, we start tomorrow. And I believe as you study through this, you'll be studying through the Word. And it will help you get closer to God. And uh, so I'm encouraging you, uh, carve out the time starting tomorrow to do that. If you don't have a journal, they're going to be available on the patio. They're available online at Amazon.com or at CrossroadsChurch.Family. So make sure and get one, and it's not too late to order one. Amazon has moved mountains to get them out quickly, uh, so we want to make sure you get your hands on one of those. But today we're going to kick off the Miracle Series uh, with a person who actually inspired me to do the Miracle Series. Uh, Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for Miracles. And you're going to hear uh, some of the research he did that opened him up to understanding the great miracles God is doing in our day and time. But just in case you don't know who Lee is, uh, Lee was an atheist. At the time he was an atheist, he also was an award-winning journalist for the Chicago Sun Tribune. And so being there and being an atheist, he was shocked when his wife became a Christian. And he decided to do what almost all husbands do, show his wife she was wrong. And so using his journalistic skills, he began to actually build a case against Christ, but it didn't work because the evidence was too overwhelming to an atheist who was a journalist. And so what happened is he ended up becoming a Christian, not just a Christian, a committed, convicted Christian. Uh, he wrote a book about it called The Case for Christ. Uh, they made a movie about it, which you can uh, search online and go and watch. It's really, really good. And then since then, God has used Lee in an incredible way. Uh, not that long ago, he was chosen as one of 30 of the most influential voices for Christianity in this century. And so I want you to know what you're about to hear today is going to be amazing. And it gave us an opportunity to begin to look at miracles, not only in the Bible, but in our day and time in a very verified way that a journalist would use to find out the truth. So you're going to hear that. I also want you to know that Lee has a brand new book coming out called The Case for Heaven. And the case for heaven right now is not out yet. It won't be out till September. But you can actually get an excerpt from it and begin reading uh, if you go to thecaseforheaven.com. And you'll get that for free, by the way. And so I would encourage you to do that. But not only is Lee an incredible man of God, not only is he being used by God in an incredible way, but I want you to know I believe he's a true friend of Crossroads. And so that, to me, makes him family. And Crossroads family, I want you to welcome him as family. Welcome Lee Strobel right now.
But good morning, everyone. It's great to be back. I love Crossroads. I remember the first time I was here, sitting down here during the worship time, I thought, this is a special place. I feel God's presence in this place. So I'm thrilled to be here. Actually, I'm, I'm happy to be anywhere uh, because my wife and I are in the middle of downsizing. We just moved to a new house this last week. So everything's in boxes. Everything's chaotic. I'm just glad to get out of town for a few days. Um, but they're giving us our new telephone number from the phone company, which you may think, yeah, big deal, but it's a big deal to us because when we lived in Chicago, the phone number they gave us was one digit away from the cab company. <laughs> Seriously. So two in the morning on Saturday nights, these drunk guys in bars would call for a cab. They'd misdial. My phone would ring. It was bad enough getting wakened up in the middle of the night, but then you had to get up, get dressed, get in the car. It was such a hassle. So I think we're going to get a good number this time. But um, uh, as Chuck mentioned, I was here once before, and I told about my story of going from uh, atheism to faith. And it was a miracle that brought me to faith. That is the historical data that support the um, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this historical event, which was a tremendous miracle, is what convinced me that Jesus didn't just claim to be the Son of God, but he backed up that claim by returning from the dead, and that's what brought me to faith. But, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm trained in law, and so uh, my skeptical nature didn't go away when I became a Christian. So did I believe that God had done miracles in the past? Well, yeah, you got the resurrection. Uh, I believe the four Gospels, they contain sober accounts of his miracles that took place in front of skeptics. And by the way, they didn't dispute the fact that he did miracles. They just got mad at him for doing them on the Sabbath. So yeah, I agree that historically God did miracles. But I wondered, is God still in the miracle business today? Is God still supernaturally intervening in people's lives in the 21st century. And so I decided to take my journalism training and my legal training and systematically investigate those issues. And I spent two years on that project. And I traveled the country. I interviewed all kinds of experts on this topic, including the most famous skeptic in America, Michael Shermer, the founder and editor of Skeptic Magazine. I gave him the first three chapters of the book to say, do your best to give the case against miracles. And then the rest of the book responds to those kind of objections that he raised. Well, I'm telling you, after two years of investigating contemporary miracles, I was just blown away. I was just blown away. So here are my conclusions. First, God is still in the miracle business today. Second, miracles occur a lot more frequently than people think. And third, many miracles are far better documented than skeptics suppose. In fact, you're going to hear in a few moments from a woman whose miracle was probably the best documented that I uncovered during my investigation. And on top of that, by the end of my talk, you are going to witness what I consider to be a miracle of God. So put on your seatbelts for that. But let's get started. Let's look at the four big questions about miracles. Question number one, how do you define a miracle? What is a miracle? You know, we throw around that term very loosely. You know, hey, I went, I went to L.A. and I found a parking space. It's a miracle. You know, well, that might be a miracle <laughs> now that I think about it. But, you know, we throw around the term all the time. So, you know, 
what does it really mean? What is a miracle? You know, after all, God set up the world, and most commonly, he works through the natural processes that he himself created. So lots of philosophers have come up with different definitions, but the one I found that I, I think is the best comes from a, a late philosopher named Richard Pertill. He gave a five-point definition, and here's how it goes. A miracle is an event brought about by the power of God that is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature for the purpose of showing that God has acted in history. I think that's a good definition of a miracle. So for me, when I see something extraordinary that has spiritual overtones, that is not explainable by natural means, and is validated by independent sources, that's when the miracle bell goes off in my mind. Question number two. Well, wait a minute. Aren't miracles impossible because they violate the laws of nature? A lot of skeptics think so. In fact, the most famous skeptic of history, um, David Hume, back in the 1700s, thought you can't have miracles happening because they violate the laws of nature. But it's just a misunderstanding about what the laws of nature are. For instance, I have a pen here in my pocket. If I take out this pen and I were to drop it, the law of gravity says it would hit the stage, right? But if I take this pen and I drop it and somebody reaches in and grabs it before it hits the ground, they're not overturning the law of nature, uh, of gravity. They're not violating the law of gravity. They're merely intervening. And that's what a miracle is. It's when God intervenes in the laws of nature that he himself created. And we can't be confident it was God who created the laws of nature. Why? Well, as my friend philosopher William Lane Craig likes to teach, number one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Number two, the universe began to exist at some point in the past, as virtually every scientist admits, and therefore, the universe must have a cause behind it. And what kind of a cause can bring a universe into existence? He must be uncaused, because you can't have an infinite regress of causes, he must be transcendent because he's apart from creation. He must be powerful given the immensity of the creation event. He must be smart given the mind-blowing precision of the creation event. He must be immaterial or spirit because he existed before the, spirit, the physical world. He must be timeless or eternal because he existed before physical time was even created. He must be personal because he had to make the decision to create. He must be creative, because look at the wonders of the universe. He must be caring, because he fashioned a perfect habitat for us to flourish in. And then finally, the scientific principle of Occam's razor tells us there would be just one creator. So what do we got? Uncaused, transcendent, powerful, smart, spirit, eternal, personal, creative, caring, unique. I mean, that's a pretty good starting point of a description of the God of the Bible. That's why I'm convinced that Genesis 1 is right. I'm convinced that that, that it's called the Kalam cosmological argument, that it establishes that Genesis 1 verse 1 is right when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here's the deal. If he has created the heavens and the earth, of course he can intervene in the laws of nature. 
In other words, if God can cause a universe to leap into existence, then a virgin birth or walking on water would be mere child's play. Question number three, how common are miracles today? This really blew me away. How common are miracles today? I hired the George Barna Organization, which is a highly respected Christian polling organization, to do a national poll and to ask people, have you ever had at least one experience in your life that you can only explain as being a miracle of God? And I was really stunned by the results. I found that nearly two out of five American adults said, yes, I've had at least one experience in my life I cannot explain except as a miracle of God. In 38% of American adults say they've had at least one miracle in their life. In fact, let me ask you, how many of you would say you have had at least one experience in your life that you can only explain as a miracle of God? Raise your hand. Yeah. A lot higher than 38% here, of course, because you're believers. You've become believers, perhaps, even because of the miracle that happened to you. So we can extrapolate. If 38% of Americans have had a miracle, that means there have been at least 94,792,000 miracles just in the United States. Now, let's say most people are wrong when they think they've had a miracle. Let's say, let's, get, let's eliminate 99% of those miracles and say, no, they're probably just remarkable coincidences. So let's just, you know, arbitrarily, we'll wipe out 99% of those miracles. You know what? We still have nearly a million miracles left just in the United States. Friends, I think miracles occur a lot more often than we think they do. Sometimes I think we just need to open our eyes a little wider to God's activity in our midst. It's important to notice, though, to note, though, that uh, I don't think, based on my research, that miracles are necessarily evenly distributed around planet Earth. We tend to see clusters of miracles, and generally it's in places where the gospel is just beginning to break into a culture. And so, for instance, uh, one expert I interviewed said that up to 90% of the growth in the church in China is a result of people who either themselves have had a miraculous healing or they know somebody who has. Uh, and so we see in Brazil, in Mozambique, other places around the world where the gospel is breaking in, God will often bring the miraculous to point people toward him. Well, question number four. How do we know that a miracle is genuine? How do we know it's real? Because often there is a natural explanation for something that takes place. Maybe it's an extraordinary coincidence, but there is a natural explanation. Or it could be the placebo effect. That's a known psychological condition where if you think you're going to feel better, you often do feel better. And maybe that explains something that people, some people think might be a miracle. Could be a mistaken diagnosis. You know, oh, I was healed of cancer. Yeah, but then when you go back, you look at the original diagnosis and it was wrong in the first place. That can happen. Could be fakery, could be fraud. There have been cases of fraud. Um, some illnesses spontaneously disappear on their own, although it usually occurs over a long period of time and often the disease will come back. All of that, friends, is true. But what I discovered is naturalistic explanations cannot account 
for all of the miracle claims. There are other healings and other miraculous events that are simply inexplicable apart from the work of God. So how can we tell if something is truly miraculous? Well, some skeptics like to ratchet up their skepticism to unreasonably high levels when it comes to miracles. For instance, one atheist wrote an article for Skeptic Magazine in which she said, you know what it would take for me to maybe consider the possibility a miracle had occurred? She said, if a chicken learned how to read and then beat a grandmaster at chess, then maybe I'd start to think perhaps maybe something was going on. But I think that's raising the bar ridiculously high. Here's my view. I believe we can reasonably conclude that a miracle has occurred if we have solid documentation, multiple and credible eyewitnesses who have no motive to deceive, if there's no alternative natural explanation, and if it occurs in the midst of prayer, if it has spiritual, uh, spiritual overtones. Now, some scientists have actually measured the existence of miracles. And this is where it really gets fascinating. For instance, there's a woman with a PhD from Harvard University. She's a professor at a secular university, Indiana University. She heard that there was a cluster of miracles taking place in the country of Mozambique, where the gospel was just breaking in. So what did she do? She sent a team of researchers to Mozambique. And listen to what they did. They went into the rural areas of Mozambique and they said, bring us all your blind and your deaf. So they would bring all the people who are blind or deaf or had extremely bad vision or hearing problems and so forth, they, they would come. Now, the first thing they did is that they tested them scientifically. What is the actual um, level of hearing and vision that they have? So they, they conducted the test to determine what's your level of seeing and, and hearing. Then, immediately, they were prayed for in the name of Jesus Christ by people who tend to have a track record of God using them in supernatural healings. And then, immediately after that, they were scientifically tested again. What is their level of hearing now? What is their level of vision now? And guess what they found? In virtually every case, there was improvement. In some cases, it's just astoundingly so, the average improvement in visual acuity was tenfold. One woman named Martine, when they first encountered her and measured her, she could not hear the equivalent of a jackhammer next to her. After 10 minutes of prayer in the name of Jesus, she can now hear normal conversations. So they said, they were astounded. The researchers are amazed by this. So they said, okay, we need to see if we can replicate this. So they went to another place where miracles are breaking in, in Brazil. And guess what? They got the same results. So this is a rigorous scientific study that was accepted for publication in a major, secular, peer-reviewed medical journal. And I traveled to Indiana University to interview the woman who conducted this study. Her name is Dr. Candy Gunther Brown. And I asked her about it. And this is what she said. She said, Lee, our study shows that something is going on. She said, this is more than just wishful thinking. It's not fakery. It's not fraud. It's not some televangelist trying to get widows to send in their money. It's not a highly charged atmosphere that plays on people's emotions. Something, she said, 
is going on. And I would agree. I think it's something supernatural. My book talks a lot about different documented miracles. But to me, the most amazing one I came across involves a woman by the name of Barbara Snyder. I've interviewed Barbara Snyder at length. Uh, We have multiple credible eyewitnesses who have no motive to deceive. In fact, two of her physicians were so amazed by the miracle that took place with Barbara, they've written books about it. Here's the story of Barbara. She was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at the Mayo Clinic. Many people who have multiple sclerosis, they, they live productive lives. I mean, they, they, they live with that condition, not Barbara. She deteriorated very quickly. Uh, she had repeated hospitalizations, repeated surgeries. And finally, they said, there's no hope for Barbara. They said when she gets pneumonia the next time, she will get pneumonia on a regular basis. We're just going to let her die because it's just prolonging the inevitable. Um, So she was put into hospice. One of her doctors, Dr. Harold P. Adolph, a board-certified surgeon who had done 25,000 operations in his career, get this, he called Barbara, quote, one of the most hopelessly ill patients I have ever seen. One of the most hopelessly ill patients I've ever seen. So here she is. She's in hospice. She's waiting to die. They put her in her bedroom at home. Uh, One lung was non-functional. The other was functioning at only 50%. She had a a, a, a traceotomy tube that was in her throat so she could breathe. It went to a tube that went to oxygen canisters in her garage. She'd lost control of her urination and bowels. She was legally blind. All she could see were vague shapes, gray shapes. Um, She hadn't walked in seven years. And so her legs had atrophied. And her hands were permanently uh, curled to where her fingertips were, were touching her wrists. And, and her feet were, uh, j- uh, you know, just permanently in a downward position. And so she's kind of curled up like a pretzel in her bed waiting to die. She was, by the way, a Christian. Well, one day... Someone called up WMBI, which is the Christian radio station in Chicago where uh, Barbara lived, and said, hey, Barbara's on her deathbed. Could you just have people pray for Barbara? So we documented that at least 450 Christians began praying for Barbara. We know that because they wrote letters to Barbara saying, I'm praying for you. So it was Pentecost Sunday. Barbara was in her room. And two of her friends had come to read her some of the letters from people who were praying for her. And I'm going to let Barbara herself tell you what happened next. June 7th, 1981. I'll never forget it. It was a day like any other day for me. That was one spent confined to bed, unable to breathe on my own, hooked up to machines, a tracheostomy tube in my neck, my arms curled up, my legs curled up. I lay there trapped inside my own body is really how it felt. I had two friends over. They came over all the time. They were from my church. My church family never forgot me. Mm. So while they were there, I still remember exactly what they were reading when all of a sudden um, I heard a booming, authoritative, loud voice over my shoulder over here say, my child, get up and walk. And there was nobody else in the room. And there was no one else in the room, and the door was over here. There were windows over this way. And instantly, I knew it was God. But instantly, I also knew that my friends didn't hear that, Hmm. which is kind of interesting, too. Yeah. 
Um, and I needed to share with them what I heard. Well, I had this tracheostomy tube in my neck. That's how I breathed. And I had hands that did not work. So my friends said whenever I looked agitated, they knew I wanted to talk. So they'd come and plug the hole in my neck. And I said, I don't know what you're going to think about this, but God just told me to get up and walk. And my friends got really quiet. <laughs> I know, but he really did tell me to get up and walk. Run, get my family. I want them to be here. And um, my friends all of a sudden jumped up. And while they jumped, so did I. I was so excited, I couldn't wait for anyone. And I literally jumped out of the bed. This, this is where you'd almost have to have known me to see how totally impossible that was. So this time, I remember reaching up and pulling my oxygen off my neck. I remember that. And then I jumped toward the voice. My friends are over here, but I jumped towards the voice. And as I jumped up, the first thing I remember isn't what I would think I would remember, but I jumped out of the bed and I looked and I saw my feet. They were flat on the ground, just like everyone else's, which sounds normal, but not for me. I had foot drops so badly I couldn't even wear slippers on my feet. They were so curled. So when I jumped up to have feet flat, I was amazed and stood staring at my feet. And when I did that, I jumped like this and then I saw my hands. And they were open, and they never opened. And so now they were open, and I stood staring at them, and then it dawned on me I could see me. That's what I would have thought I would have noticed mm. first, was my vision, but I didn't. It I was noticed, back, you could see. It was back, I was perfectly fine. And I stood staring again for a little while, just feeling what it felt like to look at and see me. And then I turned, and that's when we were like women. We all started jumping up and down, screaming and thanking the Lord. I remember I didn't understand anything except where once I was real sick, I was well again. And it has to be God. That's all I knew. Barbara hears a voice saying, get up, my child, and walk. And she, at that moment, was instantly and thoroughly healed of her illness. In fact, her mother came running in and fell to her knees and, and grabbed uh, Barbara's calves and said, your calves are back. Her muscle tone instantaneously returned. Then her legs had atrophy. She hadn't walked in seven years and her muscle tone instantly returned. Her father came in and began to waltz with her around the room. Well, this was Pentecost Sunday. And there was a service that night at their church, Wheaton Wesleyan Church in suburban Chicago. And so they went to the church and it's in the middle of the service, and the pastor gets up and says, does anybody have any announcements? And here comes Barbara walking down the center aisle. And people just freaked out because all they knew for years and years was Barbara in a wheelchair, Barbara who couldn't walk, Barbara who was dying. They see her walking down the center aisle, and instantaneously they began to sing, Amazing Grace, I once was blind, but now I see. The next day she went to one of her doctors, Dr. Thomas Marshall, an internist for 30 years. And he said later, when I saw her walking down the corridor toward my office, my first thought was, oh, she died and that's a ghost. Because <laughs> his response, quote, this is medically impossible. Medically impossible. Friends, God instantly and completely and astoundingly healed Barbara in one split second. There is no natural explanation. Besides, how do you account for that voice that came from the corner of her room? Today, she's been totally healthy for more than 30 years. She married a pastor, and they have a little church 
in uh, right the area of Fredericksburg, Virginia. Her, her doctor, Dr. Marshall, wrote this. I have never witnessed anything like this before or since and considered it a rare privilege to observe the hand of God performing a true miracle. I mean, that's just, that's just one of the cases that I document in my book, The Case for Miracles. I have other credible accounts of the dead coming back to life, of deafness and burns and broken ankles and shriveled hands and meningitis instantly heal after prayers to Jesus. And by the way, since the book came out, there have been other studies that have come out. In fact, there is a peer-reviewed medical journal that recently published an extraordinary case study of a woman who was blind for a dozen years from juvenile macular degeneration, an incurable disease. She attended a school for the blind, she read Braille, she walked with a white cane, and she married a Baptist pastor. Well, one night, according to the case study published in this peer-reviewed medical journal, one night they were getting ready for bed, and her husband, this pastor, got on his knees, and he prayed, he said, oh God, you can restore her eyesight tonight. Lord, I know you can do it, and I pray you will do it tonight. And with that, she opened her eyes to perfect eyesight. She said, this is what she said later, I was blind when my husband prayed for me. Then just like this, in a moment, after years of darkness, I could see perfectly. It was miraculous. She said, within seconds, my life had drastically changed. I could see. I could see. And now her eyesight has been absolutely perfect for 47 years. Here's the point. God is still in the miracle business today. He is. And that tells us three things about God. It tells us three things about him. Number one, that he's real. That he's real. These miracles point us toward the reality that God does exist. Second, these miracles show that God is powerful. Nothing is too hard for him to accomplish. And then third, miracles show that God is loving. I mean, when someone like Barbara or this blind woman experiences supernatural healing, it's a deeply moving reminder of how much God loves them. But, but, having said that, what about those cases where people pray for a healing and it doesn't come. My wife has a uh, neuromuscular condition that has her in pain every single day for the last 20 years, and she'll be in pain every day for the rest of her life unless God does a miracle and we prayed for one and it has not come. I knew I couldn't write a book on miracles without addressing this question. And so I went to a man uniquely qualified to discuss it. On one hand, he's a PhD in philosophy. He's written a 714-page book on the evidence for God. His name is Dr. Douglas Grotheis. He's a professor at Denver Seminary. And on the other hand, his wife was dying of dementia, a rare, it wasn't Alzheimer's, it was a different kind of dementia, but she was rapidly deteriorating at a young age. And even though they prayed powerfully and repeatedly for her to be healed, she was not healed. In fact, she ended up dying after the book came out. So if, if, if you wrestle with this, I would just encourage you to read this chapter because 
He does just a remarkable job with the intellect of a philosopher and the suffering of a husband to be able to put this into context. It's, it's powerful. Um, and so, you know, you don't answer this in a short period of time. It, uh, what do we know? We know, first of all, that God is sovereign. God will do as God will do. His ways are above our ways. He promises ultimately that all followers of his will be healed, whether it's in this life or in the life to come. Keep in mind, friends, that healings were not automatic in the New Testament. Matthew says that Jesus didn't do many miracles in Nazareth. In Matthew chapter 10, the disciples were given the authority to heal, but then seven chapters later, they failed to heal an epileptic boy. Paul didn't heal everybody. He went off on a missions trip and he left Trophimus behind, even though Trophimus was sick. And Paul was not healed of this mysterious thorn in the flesh that he talks about. So, I mean, there, there's a lot to consider here, besides which if God granted every healing that everybody in the world prayed for, we, we'd have so many um, uh, interventions in the laws of nature that we, we couldn't plan our lives. Uh, things would be very ad hoc. And, and, and so we need the laws of nature for predictability and for, for the, the world to continue. See, God normally works through those natural processes. So I'd encourage you to read that chapter if it's an issue in your life because uh, it, it just was powerful to hear him go into great detail about how it has affected him and his wife. But in the meantime, remember that I told you you were going to become a witness to what I believe is a supernatural miracle. And that time has come. So let me give you the background before you become a witness. It's a story of Dwayne Miller. Dwayne Miller was a pastor in Brenham, Texas, not far from where I live. Uh, great guy, great pastor, loved to preach the word of God, loved to lead worship. And one day he woke up on a Sunday morning and a virus had paralyzed his vocal cords. Um, the nerves of his vocal cords had been destroyed. They were limp. And so he said it was like, like a hand on my throat. And it is what his voice sounded like. Uh, it was very raspy, and he felt like, like a hand was on his throat. Well, he could no longer be a pastor. He couldn't preach. He couldn't do the work of being a pastor. He lost that position. For the next three years, he was examined by 63 physicians, including a Swiss symposium of the world's leading experts on the throat. And when he was asked about the prognosis for, deliver, for uh, recovery, when he asked about it, the doctors told him, zero. There is no chance that your voice is going to come back. Well, he used to, before he became a pastor, he used to teach at a Sunday school class at First Baptist Church in Houston. And one day his class called and said, Dwayne, we miss you. We love you. Why don't you come back and, and, and teach us one more time from the Word of God? And he said, well, you know, it's kind of annoying to listen to me. And they say, yeah, yeah, we know it's annoying to listen to you, but we love you. So come on and, and give it one more shot. So he said, okay. So he came and they put a microphone on him so that people could hear him better. And he got up to teach this Sunday school class. And he was teaching from Psalm 103, which talks about the healing power of God. And he got to the third verse. It said, God heals all your diseases. And Miller said later, uh, 
with my tongue, I was saying, I still believe that God heals, but in my heart, I was screaming, why not me? Why not me? He went on to the next verse. It says, the Lord redeems your life from the pit. And he told the class, I have had and you have had in times past pit experiences. And as soon as he said the word pit, for the first time in three years, it was like that hand came off of his throat. And something else happened as well. But guess what? They tape recorded that class. And now you are going to hear in real time what took place on that day in Sunday school. So listen to this. So when the psalmist writes, and he heals all of my diseases, let me say to you that I believe God still heals. That hasn't ended. That is not over. So the psalmist says, I'm excited. Bless the Lord, O my soul. One of his benefits is he heals all of my diseases. And in verse 4 he says, and he redeems my life from the pit. Now, I like that verse just a whole lot. I have had, and you have had in times past, pit experiences. We've both had, we've all had times when our life seemed to be in a pit, in a grave. And we didn't have an answer for the pit we find ourselves in. And I don't understand this right now. I'm but overwhelmed at the moment. I'm not quite sure what to say or do. <laughs> I'm uh, Sounds funny to say at a loss for words. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Just as Dwayne was preaching about the healing power of God, God intervenes and heals his voice 100%. If we continued the tape, you would hear it come back to absolute full clarity. Um, and if you think that was just a coincidence that that happened, he later, the next day, goes to his doctor, and his doctor examines him and says, even if I could explain how you got your voice back by coincidence, which I can't, I could never explain what happened to the scar tissue. He said, all the scar tissue was totally gone. He said, his voice looked like the vocal cords of a baby. It was so perfect. Today, Dwayne is a pastor again of a church near Dallas, Texas. 
And you know what else? He hosts a daily radio show using his voice to tell people about the God who is still in the miracle business today. But let's, let's thank that God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a great and a powerful and a miracle-working God. We thank you for your love. We thank you for displays of your miraculous work among us. It encourages us. And Father, I pray right now for those that say, I need to know this God personally, but they know they don't know you, that even now they would confess that they're a sinner, they would turn from that, and they would reach out and receive your free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you that this great miracle of transformation that you, that you do in people who give their lives to you, receive your free gift of grace, that's probably the greatest miracle of all. There's so many miracles in this room of people who have experienced that. We thank you for who you are and what you do. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our forgiver and who is our leader and who is our very, very best friend. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much. Oh, let Lee know how much you appreciate him right now. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And again, I encourage you to get the book, The Case for Miracles. And then read your Bible and read the miracles and read the book and see what's happening. And then open up your heart. Commit your life to a God who does want to work on your behalf. You know, it's so interesting. One of the great promises of Scripture is found in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, where it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined all that God has for those who love him. Isn't that wild? Yeah, praise God for that. God tells you, you know what, I want to show you things. I want to reveal things to you that are beyond description and beyond imagination. I sat with Pam, and I'll be sharing this later, and I said, let's just make a list. Of all the things that God has done that clearly had to be him. And we sat there remembering and getting emotional over all those things that God has done. And I want to tell you that what I have learned to be true, what most of you have learned to be true, is when you read the Bible, it becomes a description of our lives in the here and now. Right, you guys? I'm looking at you two. You guys are a miracle, right? Yeah, and I'm just watching it happen, and we see it occurring. But let me say this. This is for you. This is for you. And if you're right now not in a relationship with God, it's not because he doesn't want you. It's that you have to choose him. See, one of the great, great miracles, and I'm not going to shy away from that word, is that God, the holy God, the powerful God, the God that's beyond any of us says that he loves you so much that he gives you a choice. Will you come to me? Right now, there's some of you online, you need to come to God. There's some of you on the patio, you need to come to God. There's some of you right here. Some of you right now, God, God loves you. And he says, you know what? No eye has seen, no ear has heard. 
No, way in your imagination can you know all that I have prepared for you if you'll come love me. And then later that verse, next verse says in 1 Corinthians 2.10, and God reveals this by the Spirit. Right now, I'm going to go to a time of prayer, and I am going to pray. And I'm going to ask all of you who love the Lord, here and online, pray. Pray for people to say yes to God. And I'm hoping some of you are going to sense in one way or another the Holy Spirit stirring. You may not even know what that is. By the way, let me tell you this. When I became a believer, I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was, but I knew something was happening to me. And now today I look back and go, oh, that was the Holy Spirit. So you may not even know what the Holy Spirit is or who he is, but now he's going to move. And what do you need to do? You need to pray a prayer, and I want to lead you in that prayer, where you say yes to God. And you know what? When you say those words, he's going to honor that prayer. He's going to come close. Then, after that, you need to make it known. Uh, If you're here in the room, we're going to ask you to actually stand up and to come forward. And when you do, I believe you're going to experience something great. Uh, If you're watching online, we don't want you to miss out. So what we want you to do is this. We want you to text AMEN to 77247. So if you pray this prayer, if you say yes to God, I want to ask you to text AMEN to 77247. Or you can go to CrossroadsChurch.Family and let us know about your decision. If you're on the patio, there's a host outside. They're going to invite you to come. But all of you, whether you're here in the room or on the patio or online, God sees you, God knows you, and God loves you. But he gives you a choice. And if you choose him, if you choose him for the first time or you choose him to recommit, God, God has things for you. God has things for you. So don't stay back in the ordinary life. Don't stay back in a broken life. Don't stay back and think that God doesn't have this for you. He does. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for anybody who needs to open their heart to you and commit their life to you. And I really pray that, Lord. Is the Holy Spirit touching anyone right now? That's the question. God, I pray right now there is something happening. I pray for a person who other people are going to believe it's a miracle that they came to know you, but right now they're going to. And I pray they're going to pray this prayer. God, I pray right now for someone who's here in our room. And and this is that moment that they need you so much. They came here today hoping for something for them. They can sense it. And they know who they are. They know they want things to change. And now change can come. They just need to pray this prayer and not hold back. God, I pray for you just to begin to move and touch those who need to say yes to you. If that's you right now, I want to ask you to pray a prayer with me. Whisper the words. Whether you're here, again, online or on the patio, whisper these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me. And you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me. And I pray you'll cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and pain. I pray you'll free me from anything or anyone 
who's holding me down or holding me back. But most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And amen if you prayed that prayer. Amen if you prayed that prayer. And if you prayed that prayer, praise God, praise God. Praise God, praise God. And as you get ready to leave, I want to remind you the Miracle Journal is going to be available outside. And we'd uh, love for you to grab one or you can order one online. Uh, But I want you to experience God in an incredible way. And Lee, thank you for kicking us off so well in this series. And I love that. By the way, on Wednesday night, we're starting a brand new series on how to share your faith. Uh, I want you to get the tools you need so you're not afraid and you're effective and you're prepared and ready. So if you've not been a part of our Wednesday night service, which right now is online, but very soon we'll be announcing when we're coming back live. Um, Yeah. So anyway, uh, tune in Wednesday night, seven o'clock. We want to have a great time with you. And I want to equip you in being able to share your faith. But as you go, may you go knowing that God loves you. May you go knowing that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no heart has imagined all that God has for you. And may you experience God revealing that for you because he loves you in Jesus' name. God bless you and have a great day.